You're now listening to episode 58 of the Real Estate CPA Podcast. Your source for all things real estate, accounting, and tax. Here we reveal our secrets that can save you thousands in taxes, streamline your accounting process, and help grow your business. Stay tuned to hear insightful interviews with industry experts, successful real estate investors, and current clients on what strategies they use to grow their business and how they steer clear of Uncle Sam. Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Brandon Hall and Thomas Castelli here, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have a discussion on the various paths to wealth in real estate investing, from working a full-time job and investing on the side to going full-time as a real estate investor. Also, I'd like to let everybody know that going forward, we're going to be changing up the podcast format just a bit and adding two new segments. The first segment is going to be a debrief where Brandon and myself will give our thoughts on the strategy or topic we discussed with the guests on that episode. The next segment is a Q&A segment where we're going to take questions from you, the listener, and answer them right on the show. You can now submit your questions by going to www.therealestatecpa.com backslash podcasts. Again, that's www.therealestatecpa.com backslash podcast and drop your question right on the box found on the webpage. You can expect these changes to take place starting with episode 60, which is going to air on Tuesday, August 6th. Also, every few episodes, Brandon and myself and perhaps other members of the Real Estate CPA team will have a discussion on an accounting, tax, business, or investing topic similar to the one we're going to have today. Finally, we want to remind everyone that if you like the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And please share your favorite episode of the Real Estate CPA podcast with an investor friend as we want to help as many investors as possible minimize their taxes, streamline their accounting, and grow their business. Thank you for your continued support. And without further ado, we're going to jump right into today's episode. Hey, everybody. I want to thank you for joining today's episode or listening to today's episode. Today, we're going to discuss the different paths to real estate wealth. Oftentimes, uh, a lot of investors out there believe that uh, real estate is a get-rich-quick scheme, that they're somehow going to be able to invest in a handful of properties and all of a sudden ride off into the sunset, as many people say. And uh, really, what it takes is you know not only just accumulating properties, but also oftentimes another income generator. And I think we're going to talk about that, what those income generators are, we're also going to touch on you know, the difference between what real estate investing is and owning a real estate business and how owning a real estate business can be a great path to generating the income you need to get into real estate, but ultimately is not real estate investing in and of itself. So just kick it off. So Brandon, what types of income streams have you seen people have that generate enough earnings, if you will, to be able to invest in real estate and build wealth? Yeah, uh, that's a good question, Tom. So I think in my career as a CPA, and I'm sure that you can attest to this too, you know, real estate is obviously a great wealth building tool. It's just a very long game. And I think that we see a lot of folks that jump into it thinking that they're going to be rich next year if they build a portfolio out of a few single family rentals or something like that. But what we've seen with our clients, the most, I guess, successful at building wealth relatively quickly have some other form of income stream that's relatively significant, uh, which is, I think, what you're trying to get at there. So I don't know about you, but on my end, I've seen people with businesses that are earning a high net income. I've seen salespeople that are earning a high net income. We, we have a lot of W-2 employees too that, that earn a high W-2 wage. But if we're talking about somebody that you know earns 100 to 150K or, or even up to 200K, I, I would consider that relatively 
ordinary. Not that it's bad. Obviously, that's a phenomenal wage, but it's just a little bit of a longer play if you're going to build wealth through real estate, I think, at that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've seen our most successful clients, like you said, you know, they're making over $300,000. They're in W-2. That's typically from a medical profession, sales, finance. Some people are lawyers or or otherwise professionals or or they're working in Silicon Valley. You know, those type of companies in that area tend to pay a lot of money. And because you're earning such a large sum of disposable income, if you will, discretionary income, oftentimes these people start to wonder where to put that. Where am I going to put all this money? Or they're realizing, oh, you know, oh crap, you know, I'm paying 37% in taxes. You know, I'm tired of seeing all of my money go towards the government. How can I earn money by either reducing my tax rate through real estate or at least earning tax advantage income through real estate. And because they have all that disposable income, they can really build a portfolio relatively quickly. Whereas if you have income lower below these thresholds, you run out of money to ultimately invest. And then you have to save your money back up. And it takes a little bit longer to to get through to, to building that portfolio. Yeah. And you could always run the Burr method, the buy, rehab, rent refinance repeat method, you know, where you you buy a, a fixer upper, you rehab it, then you rent it out, then you get it refinanced. You essentially pull all your equity out. You can recycle your cash that way. I, I think that that's a lot easier said than done, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, at least from what we have seen behind the curtain. I know that that's how in a lot of places and people make it seem very easy. But what we have seen when the numbers actually kind of boil out is that it's pretty difficult to find success there. And I think at that point too, we would even say, yeah, you're technically a landlord, but are you passively investing in real estate or are you now actively investing in real estate? So when we think passive wealth generation, we think focus on your main income stream, right? Is that your W-2 gig? Is that your sales gig? Are you a medical professional? Uh, Generate the cash to then plow it into real estate to ultimately lower your effective tax rate. Because that that is the name of the game at the end of the day. Your effective tax rate needs to drop over time. And the way that you do that is you... There there are multiple, I guess, tax advantageous investments, but rental real estate tends to be one of the top ones. But you invest in rental real estate, you earn cash flow, you don't pay tax on that cash flow. As a result, your total cash flow, including your W-2 job or your business or whatever it is, combined with the rentals is increasing, but your tax bill stays the same. That lowers your effective tax rate. And that's what we ultimately want to do because taxes are the, whether people realize it or not, taxes are the largest expense item every single year that you pay for. You pay, oh, I guess unless (laughs) unless you're in maybe San Francisco or New York City and you own a home, then maybe not. But (laughs) in general, the taxes are the highest expense item that you got to figure out how to whittle down over time. You no, know, no, absolutely. And, and I agree with everything you just said 100%. And you know, to add on to that, the way I look at the wealth building formula is there's, there's certain aspects of it, right? The first part is you know, getting a hold of your budget and minimizing your expenses and keeping your expenses relatively static as you grow your income, right? So you're growing your income. The one thing that's almost guaranteed to grow when you grow your income is your largest expense. So you keep your living expenses relatively static. But your tax expense is going to grow because we have a progressional tax system. So the next part of it is while you're earning, you want to increase your earnings to ultimately invest. And one of the tax advantages investments is real estate. There's also ATM machines and other things out there. But by investing in these tax advantageous investments, you're giving yourself the best way to grow wealth in a tax advantage way, I guess I'm trying to say, without uh, having taxes eat up all of your income. 
Mm -hmm. So as an example, if I earn $100,000 on my W-2 gig, I'm probably going to pay 20, 25K in taxes between maybe federal and state, right? So let's call it 25K. I've got a 25% effective tax rate. Um, I save up enough money to buy a rental property and that rental property cash flows 10,000 bucks a year. But after my depreciation and all of my expenses, I actually have a tax loss of let's call it a thousand bucks every single year going forward on that property. So now I have total earnings of $110,000, but I'm still only paying that $25,000 in tax because my rental real estate, even though it cash flowed $10,000, the tax loss was 1,000 bucks. So my cash flow is totally covered. I don't pay tax on the cash flow. So now what's happening is I'm earning more money, but I'm paying the same amount of tax. Now, if I can do that 10 times, now I'm earning $200,000 between my W-2 job and my cash flow from my rental portfolio, but I'm only paying $25,000 in tax. So now my effective tax rate is 12% or whatever that ends up boiling out to be. That's where we want to get to. And so our point here, though, is that if you have larger income streams, or if you can control your income streams. I've always been a big fan of getting involved in income streams that you can control. So if you have a W-2 job, you can't really control that income stream. You can to a degree if you position yourself correctly, uh, if you work really hard and, and add a lot of value to your company or firm or whatever you're doing. But it's not something that you can you know, necessarily go out and sell 10 clients and immediately see a bump in your income stream. So if you have a W-2 job, my recommendation has always been to find some other form of business. And that's what you're doing too, right? You're involved in the syndication space on the side. So you're you're getting involved in those income streams that you can also control. And the idea there is that if I can increase my income quickly or collectively, if I can increase my income more so than just staying at the same steady job, I can accumulate wealth faster. I can reduce my effective tax rate faster than if I just had that $100,000 job for 15 years, right? If I can figure out how to increase my income to two to three to $400,000, then obviously I can roll that income into real estate, which will ultimately reduce my effective tax rate, which will just allow it to compound even faster. Exactly. And, and, and you know, the one thing I have to say, if someone's going to do that, you're going to have your steady W-2 income. The one job I would say that you may want to look for outside of that is some kind of sales role some kind of sales activity, whether you're doing syndication. sales, absolutely. Yeah. In any sort of sales role where you can control your income. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, especially if you have the W2, you don't have to worry about, you know, am I going to spend all this time in a sales role and not make money? Because, you know, if you go to a peer sales role, oftentimes peer sales roles are commission-based and they carry a lot of risk and a lot of people aren't uncomfortable with that. But at least if you go in a sales role, in addition to your W2, you have that flexibility. Um, and something else Brandon said there, uh, while he was talking about the effective tax rate, I want to point out, as you can see, by investing in real estate, because you're not paying tax on the real estate's income, and that's because it's a tax-managed investment, you're actually reducing your effective tax rate compared to the amount of earnings you're generating. So you know, a lot of people of our clients, or a lot of people I've spoken to, when they find out that they can't use their losses from real estate against their W-2 income per se, uh, they start to get discouraged. Oh, yeah, this uh, real estate thing isn't what I was looking for. I thought it was going to help me be able to reduce my W <laughs> income, right? I and see that all the time. As they're pocketing tens of thousands of dollars of yeah. tax-free or tax-deferred cash flow, they're yeah. saying, oh, it's not benefiting me. I've got all these suspended passive losses. This is a waste. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's it's not because you're, you're like you said before, you're reducing your effective tax rate and you're you're paying overall, a lower tax rate compared to the amount of income you're generating. And that's something that's very difficult to achieve 
through other avenues outside of real estate. Yeah. So um, it's like the Warren Buffett example, you know, where his yeah. secretary, her effective tax rate is higher than Warren Buffett's and people get all up in arms about that. What they don't realize is that Warren Buffett's paying millions and millions and millions and yeah. millions of dollars worth of tax every single year. His secretary is not. His secretary is paying, you know, tens of thousands of dollars in tax every year. But on a relative basis compared to the total income earned, Warren Buffett does better because he's invested in tax deferred assets, tax advantageous assets, whereas his secretary earns the W-2 job and W-2 jobs are, are whacked with tax, just like business owners, <laughs> unfortunately. You know, absolutely. And I think there's, there's other paths to getting to wealth in real estate too, outside of just say your W-2 or self-employment job. You know, I think we often see people who build a company that's either cash flowing very strongly. And that would be, I guess, in a similar case to the self-employed individual or the W-2 individual. But when they sell that company, they might have a huge windfall of cash. And uh, oftentimes when this happens, people are wondering what to invest in. They don't want to put all their money in the stock market. You know, the stock market sometimes, uh, especially for real estate investors, sometimes uh, you know, a mystical place where your money goes and it moves up and down and no one really understands why that happens. Mm-hmm. So they feel real estate's a safer way to do it. And with that big windfall, you can, you can invest into these tax advantage investments and build your portfolio relatively quickly. So we, we keep throwing the term out business, right? Real estate business. Let's talk about that. Do you think that being a landlord is, is a business? Uh, it depends. I think it definitely depends on how you operate that business or, or that investment, perhaps. You know, if, if you're just putting your money into a single family house and you're putting a property manager in it and the property manager handles most of the work and you're kind of just sitting there collecting the checks, that's really more of an investment than it is a business. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of mixed on this. I guess from my perspective, I view it as a business, at least in the beginning. And when I say business, what I'm really trying to do is get people in the frame of mind of how much effort they're going to have to put into it, right? Yeah. So you can totally build out a portfolio of rental properties and be 100% passive. But to get to the point of 100% passive, you have to invest a crap ton of time, money, and energy in building out your systems, hiring the right people, setting the right quality checks in place. And that's what I try to explain to people because a lot of, you know, we have most of our clients are on either end of the United States in these high, very high tax states. Uh, we, we have clients all over the place, but the folks that are in these very high tax states, they're earning a ton of money, typically in technology sectors or banking sectors earning a ton of money, and they're looking for rental real estate to be extremely passive wealth building tool for them. So they look like turnkey properties out in the Midwest. There's nothing against turnkey properties, but they'll go and just and just give the provider their funds, and then they'll sit back and call it a day. And then you know, 10 months later, they have a bunch of problems and they're wondering why. Yeah. Well, the reason why is because you didn't do enough work up front in order to actually set it up the way that you need to set it up to run that business effectively and passively. You got to systematize. You, you got to put things in place so that you can you can have the quality checks. Because if you turn it over to somebody else, I guarantee you that they're not going to treat it the same as you would if you were on the ground level there. Yeah, yeah, no, no, 100% agree. You know, it, it is in many ways a business. You know, if you're going to be going into this, it, it is a business and you do need to have this, especially if you're going to scale it, right? If you're just going to buy one or two properties, maybe you don't need to have all this, this extensive stuff. But you know, if you're going to scale, you're going to be buying multiple properties. Uh, you do have to treat it like a business. And there is going to be a decent amount of work, at least on the onset, uh, to getting, like Brandon had said, all the systems in place. 
uh, and if you're, but if you're really looking for passive stuff, if you really want to be passive, I mean, I think you would be better off uh, going with with the syndication than going with a turnkey company. And, and I know oh, that's, that that might be somewhat self serving to say something like that, but because you're just, a syndicator, yeah, <laughs> no, but I mean, you're looking at professional management, right? Um, yeah. Someone's professionally managing that asset on behalf of multiple investors. The syndication sponsors are ultimately their compensation is somewhat tied to the performance of the property. Yeah. Uh, and whereas with a turnkey company, for at least from what I've seen for the most part, there isn't any of that performance-based metrics. It's okay, right. we have the property, we rehab the property, Mr. Client you know, or investor. Here is we're selling you this property, and then we're gonna operate for you. But hey, if the boiler breaks, it costs you ten thousand dollars you know in the first year. It's not really our problem. You bought the property. It's your responsibility. We're just the property managers now. Whereas in the syndication, the sponsor has an incentive to make sure things go right. Things are done efficiently and effectively. Yeah. Um, and it's truly a, a passive investment. But that said, there's also other types of real estate and businesses uh, that people often misclassify, I think, as uh, investments. And that's you know fix and flipping, wholesaling, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Before we jump into that, so whenever... Sometimes whenever we're doing tax planning with new clients, we'll ask them, what are your goals, right? How do you see yourself investing in real estate? If we're put yourself in your own shoes 10 years from now, what are you doing? Um, A lot of times clients will say something like, I'm sitting on the beach sipping some cocktails, right? (laughs) And we say, that's great. Uh, You're not going to get there building out a massive portfolio of properties. Yeah. But you could invest in the syndications. And I, so sometimes people, people don't even know that those investments exist, right? So if you're an accredited investor, you can invest in a real estate syndication. And what a real estate syndication is, it's it's somebody like Tom who gets a bunch of investors together, pools their money, and then goes out and buys like a 100, 200, 300 unit apartment building. Now, the benefit that investors get there is that there are a lot of benefits, but one of the key benefits is that you're investing in somebody that already knows what they're doing. You don't have to go and stumble through it yourself. You're just investing in somebody that hopefully has a track record, has been doing it for a while. I tell people to look for folks that made it through the 0809 downturn unscathed. Those are the folks that you want to give your money to and take a good chance on because they've already gone through the learning curve. They've already made all the mistakes. You don't have to worry about doing that yourself and costing yourself money. But the other benefit too, that a lot of people don't realize is that the syndication, hopefully, (laughs) hopefully the syndication has a good CPA and they're doing tax planning for the syndication. So you're going to benefit from all the tax strategies that the syndication is utilizing and passing through to you. That's the way that the syndication works. So I, I always like to have that conversation with new clients just to kind of figure out, you know, okay, you've read Bigger Pockets, right? You've gone to all these seminars and they all tell you to go out and burr it, right? You, you buy the single family home, you fix it up and then you refinance. Well, that's a lot of freaking work. You're going to make a lot of mistakes. Are you sure that that's the way that you want to build your portfolio? There are other ways, right? You can invest much more passively and maybe even more successfully. And then I'm not even going to get into it, but then you have the concept of time, right? How much time is it going to take you? And is it worth spending an extra 40 hours a year to gain an extra two percentage points on your ROI if you buy your own rental versus if you invest passively in syndication? Because I guarantee you, people investing in Tom's syndication or in any syndication, the time they spend is 30 minutes a quarter reviewing financial reports. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the biggest time commitment you're going to spend when you're investing passively in syndications is picking out the sponsor, developing that relationship with the sponsor to know, okay, can I trust this person and their processes and their team to effectively execute the game plan that they've 
laid out. And then after that, you know, you're just maybe hopping on a quarterly call or reading a quarterly email that presents to you the, the financial performance of the property. And that's pretty much all you're doing in the syndication. Whereas if you're building a rental portfolio, you're going to have to find the properties, you have to develop relationships with brokers, lenders, finance it, uh, find a, a suitable property manager. And hopefully that property manager is doing their job. You don't have to find another one and you don't have to worry about all these other things that ultimately fits all your responsibility when you're the landlord. When, you, when you're in a, in a passive investment, it's not your responsibility. It's the sponsor's yeah. responsibility. So generally professionals and know, you know, have teams of people in place to execute everything effectively. Um, and, and I'm not saying that syndications are the best route for everybody, right? No. But the point is, is that if you don't have a lot of time or you don't envision yourself spending a lot of time, then you can invest in people that are already there on the ground level doing it. They've already stumbled through all the learning curves. They've figured it out. They have the systems in place. Now, that said, I do think that to a certain degree, you can make more money investing by yourself, right? You can control the asset. You can control the value-add opportunities versus investing in a syndication. Mm -hmm. There is a trade-off there that you have to balance, but it just depends on how well can you balance it and do you have the time to be successful as an individual landlord? And do you have the passion? Do you have the drive to make that happen? That's true too. We get a lot of people that are gung-ho. They're ready to rock and roll. Two years later, they're a little burned out. So you got to be... You got to really understand your why. why. Why am I investing in real estate here? And if it's it, typically what we find, if it's just to earn more money, that drive doesn't last very long. No, 100%. And you know, something that came to mind while we were talking about this and the concept of you know, paths to real estate wealth. Um, one of the things I listened to on a podcast way long ago that really made a lot of sense was that when you're investing in real estate, uh, your goal is to take as much as your income as you can. Uh, save as much as they can, invest it into growth-related assets that are going to grow your income, right? And then you want to come out with a huge principal or a corpus or an amount of money you could invest and ultimately be that passive investor. Uh, in this particular podcast, they're talking about the ultimate goal of an investor should be to build a big enough principal that you're only lending at some point in the future. Because that's the ultimate form of passive investment. You have everything secured and backed by real estate. But in order to get to that point, you need to make sure that your money is growing. I guess is the point I'm trying to make here. Over the course of time that you have over your lifetime, and if you believe that you're not going to have the time, the drive, the dedication, the know-how to really dedicate to doing it yourself, to building an active portfolio, which you're going to be monitoring and making sure you're selling and, and you know adding the value and then selling it and then continually reinvesting that capital, mm-hmm. you know maybe it's better off with you doing it with somebody else. So. So I guess in summary on this this section here is that landlording is very much a business or you can make it, at least at the beginning, it's a business until you have those systems in place. And I think that you really need to treat it like a business in order to be competitive. How are you going to beat out the other people that are treating it like a business? They are dedicating a ton of time and effort to it. And if you don't have that time or effort, then Maybe landlording is not the best route for you. Maybe you should invest in syndications or other opportunities that are out there passively as an investor until you have the opportunity to invest more time into it. I think that that's, would you agree with that summary? No, 100%. Timing is key uh, and being able to dedicate the time to build the business aspects of it, 100%. We also see a lot of folks want to experiment with wholesaling and flipping and real estate brokerage, real estate. Uh, agent sales, I guess if, that, if that's the right way to say that. Brokerage. Brokerage. Yeah, brokerage. And again, it's just, it comes down to time. And and oftentimes too, we'll see folks that have a W-2 wage and then on the side, moonlighting as a real estate flipper or wholesaler. 
and and they can get burned out because they go to these again seminars. They they get people that uh, really jazz them up, and uh, and they get into it, and they realize, wow, it's going to take me you know three six months here of actual grinding effort to see a real payoff, and that can be really demotivating to people. So, but if you go in with that mindset, you can be really successful. But then we all we circle back around to the tax effect. Yeah, <laughs> you know the tax. The what we like to say is that the effective tax on that type of income is going to be 45, 50% in most cases. Yeah. Cause I mean, you got to take into account the fact that unlike the rental income that we just talked about before, where it's passive and you can take these losses to shelter the income and not pay any tax on, on the rental income here uh, with flipping wholesaling commissions from, from being an agent, those are all taxed at your ordinary income tax rates. And what's more is that oftentimes you're going to also be hit with another tax, another little a nice tax the IRS gives you. It's called the self-employment tax, 15.3% in addition on that income. And it is very difficult to shelter ordinary income. Uh, it's something that people are always trying to find new ways to do and or find the secrets to doing, although there's limited options you have there. So you can definitely shelter it, but it is yeah. difficult to shelter. Uh, shelter is a significant portion of it, I should say. Yeah. But you can definitely shelter it. But the you know we'll prepare tax returns for clients, and they're in their first year flipping or, or their first successful year, and then they're like, "Wow, man, the after tax value here, or the after tax money that I'm taking home just was not worth my time." So then they we typically see them switch to rentals, or we see them double double down and say, "You know what?" I understand that I'm going to get crushed with taxes at year end, but I want to double, triple, quadruple this business and taxes are just part of the game at that point until I can roll more money into the passive, the passive investing, either the syndicates or the landlording, something like that. Yeah. No. And for some people, maybe that, that flipping wholesaling commissions is their main source of income. That's going to drive the money they have to invest in those more passive investments. And that's totally fine. You just have to realize that when you are doing those activities, it's not truly real estate investing. You're not getting those benefits that you get from rentals. And uh, you know, we had Jay Scott on the show. Jay Scott, big flipper, and he even said right in his episode, he's like, you know, this uh, flipping isn't the you know is terrible for taxes. Yeah, and, you know, he has all these advanced strategies, but he's you know he's relatively large uh, to shelter it. I think he said he had a C corp um, yep. in there somewhere, which is more advanced for this. But uh, you know, the bottom line here is just keep in mind that when you're doing those activities that they're not passive and that you're going to get hit with you know, significant taxes. Yeah. The, the main idea, the main kind of theme here, I think, is it's not bad to get crushed with taxes on your ordinary income streams, right? So your W-2, your sales job, your medical job, your business income, whether it be a services business like I'm running or a flipping business or wholesale business, whatever. It's not bad to get crushed with taxes on that. I mean, obviously we don't like taxes. That's what we try to plan around, but it's okay. And especially if you're scaling that income, it's okay to be crushed with taxes. The key though, is what are you doing with your after-tax income? And if you're investing in rental real estate, it's a great way to store your wealth build your wealth and defer tax. You, like, like we were saying earlier, you can earn cash flow and not actually have to pay tax on that cash flow until some later point. Uh, or you die and you pass it on to your kids. You never pay tax. You take it to the grave. <laughs> you know, maybe one last thing we touch on is, you know, people often say the whole entire deferred tax thing. I mean, I know you've heard it before. I hear it all the time. People say, why defer their taxes if eventually they're going to have to pay the tax anyway? And sometimes that's an objection to a 1031 exchange, or that's an objection to doing a cost segregation study. 
And you know, I, I think for a lot of people, if you go just Google, just go on Google and look up compound interest, look up the time value of money, look up the type of charts that you'll see that if you were able to say defer $100,000 of your tax liability into the future and you were to invest $100,000, let's just say you deferred $100,000 for 10 years. And over that 10 years, you invested that $100,000 and without taking into account compound interest, you were to generate an 8% per year return on that $100,000. At the end of that 10 years, you generate $80,000. And that money, had you paid that taxes in year one, instead of in year 10, that $80,000 would have never been in existence. I always try to think of the rule of 72. So the rule of 72 says it's 72 divided by the per percent ROI that you earn annually. That's how many years it takes you to double your money. So if you can earn a 12% IRR, then you can double your money every six years, which is a, a fun little technique there. Back of the napkin, I don't, I don't even think that there's like actual scientific proof behind it, but uh, I just remember learning that in one of my finance classes way back. But it was something that always stuck in my head, and it's something that I look at whenever I'm thinking about how do I want to apply my capital. Yeah, and maybe that's something everybody should think about there when your CPA or someone brings up to you deferred tax strategies. You should take a look at the amount of money you're deferring and use the rule of 72 to really maybe help put in perspective on the type of money you'd be maybe leaving on the table from simply just not using that, that deferral strategy. All right. So thanks everybody for listening today. Uh, we'll catch you on the next week's episode. And until then, have a great time investing and best of luck. Before we go, we want to remind you about our virtual workshops. They are not a webinar, but rather our virtual workshops are a highly interactive experience that puts you in a room with our tax strategists as well as fellow real estate investors. We will discuss a topic for the first 15 to 20 minutes and then open the room up for questions. This is the perfect opportunity to get answers to those real estate tax and accounting questions that you've been dying to ask, while at the same time discovering what other real estate investors are asking. You could sign up for our virtual workshops by visiting therealestatecpa.com backslash virtual dash workshop or by following the link in the show notes below. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you enjoyed the show, please find us on iTunes and leave us a review. You can also email us at contact at therealestatecpa.com with any feedback or topic suggestions. We are always taking on new clients and with the new tax laws in play, you really don't want to navigate this alone. Let us help you save money on taxes and with your accounting and CFO needs. To become a client, navigate to our client page at therealestatecpa.com and fill out a web form with as much detail about your situation as possible. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great rest of your week.